0: Where do you get your identity from? Many people find their identity in their country of origin, their ethnicity, where they went to school, their hobbies, and even their favorite sports teams. Identity is the bedrock for how we see ourselves, how we see the world, how we think, how we relate to others, and most importantly, how we see and relate to God. Your identity forms your worldview. In today's show, I'm going to show you how you get frustrated and stuck in the same cycles, and it's all based on your identity. Let's get into it. You are listening to Raising the Standard, leadership, mindset, and development for the kingdom man. If you've ever wondered, how can I be the man God created me to be? Or maybe you asked yourself, what purpose does God have for my life? If that sounds like you, then you're in the right place. My goal is simple, to help you access the unfair advantage all Christian men have and give you actionable strategies to reach your full potential. My name is Josh Kachadorian. I am a best-selling author, husband, father, disciple, and son of Jesus Christ. If you're ready to get off the sidelines, upgrade into your identity as a kingdom man and take the territory that God has for you, then it's time to raise the standard. Hey guys, welcome to Raising the Standard. I'm your host, Josh K. And today I want to tackle something I've been seeing, hearing, and reading. And if you've been around church culture or Christians, you most likely have heard this statement. And the statement is, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You most likely have heard someone say this before. Maybe you've read it. Maybe you even said it yourself. And when guys trip up, they can most likely be found saying something like this. I'm just a sinner. I'm saved by grace. I'll keep trying harder. And hey, look, I'm not Jesus. So I'm going to keep doing my best, but I'm still a sinner and I'm saved by grace. It's easy to hide behind a statement like this because superficially it's cloaked in this garment of humility, but at its core, it's wrong, it's incorrect, and it's unbiblical, and it showcases wrong thinking. I know it's become common and guys use it to justify their behavior, but nowhere in scripture will you read the statement, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Now, what you will read in Scripture is that you were formerly dead in your trespasses and your sins, but now you have been saved by grace. And notice there are past tense articles and present tense articles in that statement, and that makes all the difference. The Apostle Paul actually refers to himself in the past tense in Galatians 2:20 he writes I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me so guys what i want to point out there is there is a past tense and a present tense that is used in the writings and the speaking that Paul delivers to the hearers of his day so let's dive in a little bit more and look at the identity the apostle Paul prescribes to all believers who received his letters he calls all believers saints. And it's really important for us to point out that these were living believers. These were not dead Christians. There are over 200 references of the Greek word for saints used throughout the New Testament. And these refer to living followers of Jesus Christ. Now, these saints must have been super Christians, right? Paul couldn't possibly be referring to those who struggle with sin as saints. Could he? Now, every church in the New Testament has a distinct character and every letter that Paul writes is written in context. There's a historical background and backdrop to every single letter and church that Paul writes to. So let's zoom in for a moment at the Greek city of Corinth. These are Gentile believers, and it's important to note that Paul stayed in this city the longest compared to all other churches he visited. He stayed with them a year and six months. He also wrote them not one letter, but two letters, and they happened to be two of his longest letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Now there's little debate that the church at Corinth was the most immature, fleshy body of believers. These guys were new converts, they were Gentiles, they didn't have the moral obligations of keeping the law or a Jewish background when they came to the faith in Jesus Christ, and they still have a lot of their old ways, traditions, and customs that they're living out even though they have accepted Jesus Christ. Paul has to correct them on many different things. The church has split up into dividing factions. In addition to that, they're suing each other, and Paul has to bring a correction and discipline to this body of believers. But despite that, he still opens his letter In Corinthians, by addressing this body of believers as saints, despite their shortcomings, their failures, their infighting and their immaturity, he still refers to them in their present condition as believers and calls them saints. Notice he does not call them sinners, although they certainly are still falling into sin. If we take it to the other side of the spectrum, let's zoom in on a book and the body of believers in Galatia. This is the book of Galatians, and on the opposite end of the spectrum, the Galatians were the most legalistic and religious Christians that Paul ever addressed. And what the church at Galatia is doing is telling new believers it's not enough just to accept Jesus as your Messiah and as your Savior and Lord. You also must keep the law. You also must add X, Y, and Z to it, or else you're not truly saved. So Paul has to correct them. He has to discipline them. And despite their legalistic and religious tradition, he still imparts to them the knowledge that they are no longer slaves, but they are heirs and their sons. So what we see Paul doing in both of these churches and in all of his letters is instilling an identity. The identity that he gives these churches, these immature believers, and also all the believers he addresses is this new identity of saint. You now are redeemed. Your past life is dead. You were formerly dead, and now you are alive and you're seated with Christ. This is an issue of identity, and every time Paul speaks and every time he writes, he's imparting identity to his listener. He's calling them saints, and he's calling them what they are, not what they formerly were. Now, let's take a look at Jesus, because the issue of identity for anyone that follows Jesus is very, very important, and Jesus demonstrates this, and I'm going to give you one example with the disciple Peter. At one point in his life, Jesus turns to Peter and calls him a rock. He makes this prophetic declaration that he will build his church upon Peter, and Peter now has this new identity, formerly a fisherman, formerly a man in business, and he is now a follower of the Messiah, and he is called a rock. And when Jesus made this statement, he had the foreknowledge as son of God to know that Peter would fail him. He knew that Peter would deny him not once, but three times. And not only that, Peter felt pretty bad. He not only denied the Lord three times, he denied him with cursing and strong language while he most likely had Jesus in his line of sight. Yet despite this, Jesus looks at Peter and speaks to him from his future. He says, you are a rock. So Jesus instills identity because it's going to be so important for every saint, for every believer, and for the apostle Peter to know who he is so he can function in the fullness of his mission, his calling, and his anointing. Could you imagine if one day Peter had to get up and preach and speak to over 3,000 people and see them get saved, but the next day he runs into a little snag, he hits a temptation, he falls down, he stumbles, and then he loses his identity. And he goes back to declaring, I'm just a sinner, I can't believe I did this again. How is Peter going to fully function in his call and in his anointing if he only sees himself through the prism of his past life, his failures, and his mistakes. He has the words of Jesus giving him identity. Peter, you are a son. Peter, you are a rock. You are equipped. And even though you fall, I will restore you. And Jesus literally appears to Peter before his ascension and says, you are restored. And Peter is called into the ministry. That is the Lord that we follow. And that is the Jesus we serve. When Jesus told followers in his day to go and sin no more, Jesus was addressing sin as a continuous lifestyle, as a series of deliberate decisions that people made. And he was calling them out of that lifestyle, those decisions, and that intentionality to live apart from God. This is not to say that saints, believers, and followers of Jesus Christ cannot sin or do not sin. However, that is not where we find our identity. I am first a saint and a son. That's who you are. That's your true identity if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And when a son misses the mark, when a son stumbles, when a son falls into temptation, we're quick to repent, we're quick to confess, and he's quick to restore. And when I live as a son and I fall into temptation, I'm not only convicted because of my sin, I'm also convicted because I'm living out of alignment with my true identity. That's not even who I am if I'm making that bad choice. That is an old version of myself. That's an old version of you if you're falling into a repeated pattern. That's not who you're called to be, and that's not who Jesus makes you to be. And the closer I walk with God, the less desire I have to sin. And the closer I walk with God, the stronger I am to resist temptation because I know choosing to sin is not consistent with my new identity. So if you're saying, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, and if that has become a mantra you have adopted where you say that every time you stumble or every time you fall, or even on your good days, you are actually making a confession that you are a sinner. Every time you repeat that, you're empowering that thought and that language is empowering you to view yourself as a sinner. And that is not your identity if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're going to be the man that God called you and created you to be, you must confess who you are. You must align with your new identity. Unlike some Christians who have a hyper-focus on depravity and the sin in their lives, I'm going to challenge you. Be hyper-focused on your sonship. Be hyper-focused on viewing God as a loving father. And yes, a loving father brings correction. A loving father brings discipline. And he does that because he loves you. And when John is writing to believers, he's saying, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. Now, that is something that's written to believers. So, yes, we do fall. We do stumble. But we do not find our identity in saying, I am a sinner. I am a saint. I am a son. You are called to be a son. And John, just a few chapters later in 1 John, will write, you are called to be an overcomer. So guys... Let's stop saying we're sinners. Let's stop identifying and finding our identity in our past life. Let's press towards the prize. Let's run after the upward call. Let's confess and identify with our sonship in the Lord Jesus Christ, because you are called to be an overcomer. Let's raise the standard. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If what you heard here today resonated with you and you want to fully step in to be the man that God created and called you to be, then I want to give you a free guide. It's called The Map, and you can get it at standard59.com. In The Map, I will give you 12 biblical strategies that every kingdom man pursuing biblical masculinity must honor. If you're ready to step off the sidelines and pursue the upward call, then get The Map today at standard59.com. That's standard59.com. Com. Hey, if there's a brother in your life that needs to hear this message, then share this show with them. And please leave us a rating and review. It helps get the message out there to more men. Until the next show, guys, let's raise the standard.